We're going back in time to the days when oil was riding high on this energy and materials throwback episode of Industry Focus. We're going back in time. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I immediately started thinking about Huey Lewis the second that you said that. <laughs> Good morning, Foolish listeners. I am Sean O'Reilly, joining you here from Full Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Thursday, April 28, 2016, and joining me in this throwback episode is Tyler Crow and Taylor Drillbit Muckerman. Yeah, that's right. With his bolo tie. I got my bolo tie on. That's what we used to wear back in the day on Digging for Value. What? Um, when did you start doing the podcast? I started doing it, I think, late. 20 or middle of 2014 so i've been just under two years and i think taylor started a year before that was when it was only a show yeah we did articles and video and that was all she wrote and that was it was so the episode that we're kind of doing the throwback or whatever of was in 2013 right yeah i think it might be the first digging for value ever oh i think yeah, and it was you July twenty fifth, twenty thirteen. So we actually posted the first video uh, that we ever did on Twitter. So if you follow us at uh, Industry <laughs> Focus, MF Industry Focus, MF yeah. Industry Focus, you can actually see the video of what we were doing the very first time. We have a little bit more practice now. Maybe, um, yeah, some, some I more. for one watched that episode and I was impressed. I was like, we got the bottom line. Yeah, it was yeah, like, like, there's some good post production. Way better than we dress. Oh the come time. on, we were just standing. That's why we look better. Well, okay, posture. I, mean, I think what that's saying? what it is. Yeah. Um, so, did you even remember what you did on that episode when we like came up with this idea? Like, did you remember what you were talking back in summer? Oh no! When no. I looked at it, it was, I had a feeling Cole was something. At least it would have been in one episode, but I didn't know that. It was in his death throes. Like it was kind of. Well, well, so we life. thought. Yeah. Yeah. So we thought. So okay. we thought. Well, on that note, um, one of the major topics of that show was Cole backslash Steel. You talked yeah, about it a little bit the show of off, yeah. Um you had an interesting takeaway, Tyler, from the show, which was China's kind of this black box, and we didn't quite know what was going on. Is, can you add some color to that, Taylor? And then what were you thinking, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, we we were looking at coal shares in that particular time in the summer of 2013. They were doing quite well. Um, everyone was saying utility stockpiles are low. They're going the to start, yeah, they're gonna have to start. Yeah, they're going to have to start loading up on coal. Buy James uh, River coal. Yeah, shares James now. River coal. You know, <laughs> get in it, get in it quick. But. Uh, Clearly, that turned out to be a sucker's bet in that in those few weeks. Um, we were talking about demand up in China. We were talking about demand up in India, demand up in Germany. Uh, not so much anymore, um, and especially in the United States. Uh, so, well, even in China because they're closing. Coal yeah, plants they're closing coal right plants. Too. Yeah, they realized there was oversupply. We talked about that on that show actually with, that China was starting to close, but they're doing so at a much more rapid rate, and not because they think there's oversupply, but because they're like. Oh my God! There's nowhere to sell this. Yeah, yeah. What have we learned about the black box that is China's economy in the last two and a half years? To you guys, it it's has a much bigger impact than I think a lot of people think. Is the I think the big takeaway? Um, Even so, a little bit yeah, of slowing growth. So there. if you miss an estimate, or yeah, or any growth slows even a fraction of a percent. It could be the size of small countries' GDPs that we're right. losing right off the top. Yeah, if you look at China's. Uh, commodities consumption over uh, across all various commodities yeah, copper no iron ore anything one. just about every commodity that you can name china is rep, uh, represents somewhere between a third and half of global consumption and so when you have that large of a factor going into things which is one that is has been tr- 
hard to predict as of late. You know, for more than a decade, we were looking at double-digit growth in China, and the appetite for commodities was just so voracious. Everybody on the planet was just trying to catch up and trying to build out capacity, thinking that this party was going to last forever. I mean, you look at the Austra- billion people are joining the middle class. Yeah, you look at the uh, Australian mining operations yeah. for BHP Billiton and Rio Tinto. They were building iron ore mines out the wazoo in in Australia to actually try to fuel this. And excuse me, now as that has started to slow down, it hasn't stopped. It, it's not actually like China has. You know, the consumption has declined. It's just that the rate of increase has slowed enough that we're in this massive overcapacity, mm-hmm. and it's it's been it's very hard uh, for an investor, especially an individual investor like you us. We don't really have a huge pulse exactly on you know what's going on on the ground in China, and for an investor trying to understand that, it can be very difficult and. In a way, you really need to tread carefully when you're looking at the commodities markets because of that. You know, I'm not saying that it's a bad investment in commodities. I, you know, I think we're all here because we're interested yeah. in investing in commodities. But you do have to keep that in mind that there is this major wild card that can throw things off that is rather unpredictable. We're interested in investing in companies. Working in commodities, right. I'm not buying any direct no. commodities. Oh, no. <laughs> you don't have a gold bar no, underneath not, your bed. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but uh, it's not as an investment. It's just for you know, like yeah. a pillow. But if, uh, if I went back to you and Joel uh, in that episode, Taylor, and was like, "Hey guys, in two and a half years, China's growth is going to slow to six, six and a half percent officially. They're yeah. going to have a stated goal to transition from a export boom driven economy to a um, uh, consumer driven economy." Would you have? thought that it would get this bad feel free to lie i probably would have shorted a thing or two really for the first time ever in my life uh yeah. if you told me for sure it's like um back to the future when he bets on the cubs to win the world yeah. series last year in 2015 that almost happened it almost happened year. thank it god happened. that it didn't but uh it should, yeah. we should mention that taylor is a very diehard card yeah thank oh, god, god that it didn't uh and that it won't this year. But anyway, <laughs> it's April, and he's already saying the Cubs aren't going to the World Series. Uh, they just had their opening day. Be nice. That's fine. Um, but yeah, so just like he bet on the Cubs, Biff bet on the Cubs. Yeah, um, I would have certainly bet the house because China means that much. Uh, and actually, on that note, um, one of the companies you guys talked a lot about on that episode was Freeport McMoran. Yeah, um, they're still around. What are they at? Ten bucks a share now? Something? Uh, yeah, it doesn't not matter. quite sure. Um, not what they used to be. Yeah. What has anything changed operationally for them? Did they because you definitely get the sense that they kind of bet a lot, they bet it all, not all, but put a lot of their chips on oil and gas, and that hasn't turned out so well. Yeah, they, and now they're, I, they tried to sell those operations. And I can't remember couldn't. when they made that acquisition, um, into oil and gas, but it was right around that time. Um, so they were late to the party, and then they yeah, tried they to were, buy chase, into they were it, chasing now, it a little bit. To be fair, though. Well, not, maybe fair is not the right word. Uh, the acquisitions that they made, they already had a partial interest. Sure, in yeah, these it wasn't. It wasn't like, and they were cash strapped at the time to the point where Freeport McMoran almost had to make the acquisition to shore up the balance sheet of yeah. that com- of those companies and get get the money yeah, that they save needed. their already okay. vested right. interest. Yeah, um, but yeah, they've kind of turned almost exclusively away from oil and gas in the last six months to a year in favor again. The lesser of two evils into their mining operations. Got it. 
Do you think um, who was it? Was it their CEO or was it? Uh, I mean, Core Labs' CEO says this all the time, but was it the free, CEO of Freeport MacRan that said we're close to the bottom of the commodity cycle? I'm I sure. I, there, I mean, week, I'm anyway. sure that he has. Said he it, might right? have, but it doesn't matter because he got <laughs> fired by Carl Icahn yeah. back in uh, right. December. So he wouldn't be the only commodity CEO saying that, though, because they're all praying for it. Right. They're they're all going home every night yeah, yeah, yeah. and praying to their higher power. Exactly. Well, when you are a CEO of one of these companies, you, you do have to, to a certain degree, remain slightly optimistic. I mean, you can say that the market is brutal today. Um, you know, if you look at any, honestly optimistic, hopefully, yeah, right. from a shareholder's you, perspective, you, you look at almost any press release, and it's the the market's brutal right now. We're doing everything we can to cut costs and make ourselves ready yeah. for when the market balance sheet. Turns. Don't forget that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, all of the there is like these cut and dried statements that every single CEO is making, and to a certain degree, they are kind of positive of when the market turns. We're not completely sure. We think it's pretty close, but when it turns, we're going to be ready yeah, yeah, and we're yeah. going to do great. They got their toes on the starting blocks. Uh, so before we move on, I wanted to point any listeners out there that are hungry for more foolish content to focus.fool.com, where all industry-focused listeners have access to a special discount on the Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter. The discount works out to $129 for a full two-year subscription. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. Uh, you guys didn't pitch anything at all on the show. No, nah, man. We no. were pitchless. You were, you were just doing it to, to inform and educate the world. That was the good old days back in the man. day. Yeah, that was uh, something we did, I think, a couple times a week. For a while there, we were doing videos every single day. Um, that would get grading. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's just podcasting with you fools. Um, and I just had awesome. a thought. Did you wear the bola tie on every episode? Or no, was not like every episode. Thing you... So, like, we went down to Houston once, and we saw a couple guys with it. <laughs> and Joel Joel got the bright idea to Why did we not get bola ties? To buy a couple off of eBay. <laughs> and this is mine. I haven't worn it in quite some time, but... It's lost some of its luster with the tips are missing at the end of the leather cable. We'll get you a new one. Yeah. No, um, no turquoise, though, just stainless steel. Uh, wait, what no are they gems. usually made out of? I don't know. You can get like gems and stuff gems. in there. Oh, yeah. Okay. They're very flare. fancy. A little flare. I have no words. Um, so, obviously, the elephant in the room on this throwback episode is, of course, the energy boom. Yeah, that was the finish the show off. Uh, was all about the energy boom. Right. And, I mean, you get. Because we were what two three years into hundred dollar oil at that point. Is I don't know price wise, but we were a couple years into the the production the boom, boom. Yeah, yeah. Um, everyone was chasing down that hundred dollar barrel of oil. What was it that the CEO of Corlab said though? He kind of predicted that things would get bad in a year and a half. Yeah, which was like much more long sighted than some of his predictions recently um, about the recovery in oil. But yeah, he said in one of their quarterly reports back then. Um, that he expected the production to plateau in the U.S., not to climb, but to start to plateau in, in within six quarters. So that would have pegged it right at the end of 2014, which is a few months after OPEC came out and said, we're going to stake our claim on market share, and prices started to fall. So it could have it could have just been a little bit of luck on his well, end that, that's OPEC, what I was... that Saudi Arabia and OPEC came out to say that, that production started to plateau and decline mm-hmm. because it wasn't worth it because oil prices crashed. But... He made, would that, have happened call. Regardless he made that, that call based on geology. I mean, correct, right? Yeah, it was a little geology and also just the fact that we were producing at such a high level that you just could. it was going to be physically impossible to sustain those rates and then factor in the decline curves of the type of oil and gas that they were drilling for. Um, it was going to be it's rapid in shale. You know, you lose a lot of your production in that first year. 
I can remember um, right around that time we were, you know, talking a lot about energy independence in the United States yeah. and how that we, was the other thing that was, was yeah, that was a, it was that a was very a thing. But <laughs> um, one of the I can remember right around that time, and it's one of those things where you, you have a half brain thought, but you never quite flesh it out all the way through. Was right around that time um, we were seeing some political instability in Libya in Iraq, in uh, Nigeria, were places that Egypt. were major – Egypt, was, places that were major sources of oil production yep. for many, many years. Well, you did Gaddafi get deposed? Uh, I, uh, 2011, 2012. Yeah. But right – so we had these major lacks of oil production and the thing was is everybody was looking at it was like, wow, uh, all of this production has come offline but we're still at one hundred dollars. Like yeah, it, by October any by any means, oil should be through the roof right now. If like if all of these things had happened yep. in any other condition, oil would be super high. But the growth in the United States was keeping it at that hundred dollar level, which seemed quite spectacular. Had I made that next like step, logical leap. logical step is like, wait, what on. happens when all of that comes back online? Yeah. What and now the... we're super. And uh, you weren't the only one that totally, I obviously flaked on that, and everyone else did because it yeah. would have been a logical prediction to assume vast overproduction. Well, not only that, but Iraq just getting back to a semblance of where it was before. Right. Um, and well, this happening then... at the same time that we're losing production now, so they're starting to balance out. But yeah. if we ever decide to pick it back up, then there's that vacuum that is going to be filled almost immediately. Dun dun dun. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's been a, a rather spectacular thing, and I think it was one of the like lessons about kind of investing the oil markets versus. There's a very political rhetoric that's associated with oil especially uh, oil uh, yeah. yeah and the idea of energy independence sounded great yeah. uh, on on the surface of it. it's like we're going to produce our own oil but we had gone from a point where we were importing 60% of our oil it, it it was in i believe 2005 we were only producing about 5 million even later 2008 we were producing only about 5 million barrels a day and, and we were 15, consuming 1516 and so when not only are we supplying more of our own, we're taking 5 million barrels per day of oil that was traditionally dedicated to the American market from places all over the globe and reintroducing it into the global market. And of all the commodities in the world, oil is probably one of the most liquid markets in terms of the Ease of transport, uh, pretty much universal pricing we across build our civilization the board. Around universal it, demand, every right. country, every country yeah. uses oil. right. It, you know, versus like natural gas, where you have these big arbitrage sp- or price spreads because of you know the high cost of transportation and you know the the Just the, the, the lack of yeah. diff- it's more yeah. more difficult to transport it. So when you consider that. And you know how easily we could just take a tanker that's dedicated going to the United States, and we have to find somewhere else to put it in a time where, um, granted, emerging market uh, demand is very is growing at a very very high rate. But at the same time, it, it, it developed nations, mostly mature markets like the United States, Europe, places like that, it, it's been flatlining to declining. So, when you where is that oil going to go? And I think that was something that we didn't quite make that connection towards at the time and you know hopefully we can understand that relationship a lot better in the coming years and uh, make better investment decisions because of it 
Taylor, was there any rumblings whatsoever back in summer 2013 on um, Tesla, the driverless car, you know, just everything that's happening there, and uh, the explosion we've seen in the last few years of solar? Solar, I definitely think, was was a a hot topic. Um, Stocks were just as volatile as they are now. Um, There wasn't as much concrete evidence that it was going to pan out, Mm -hmm. but I think... You do think we have was There were definitely shows that we talked about solar quite a bit because it was it was growing before that but it was really starting to take hold with companies taking ownership over it rather than them just being small bets and we had just in 2013 we had actually just kind of started to clear a supply glut of solar panels yeah. like right around 2011 2012 cheap chinese manufacturers cheap chinese right? manufacturers yeah. just absolutely flooding the market and if you look at a company like a first solar or uh, sunpower they really struggled right around 2011 2012 yeah. because there was so many cheap commodity panels coming out of china basically flooding the market and to the point where they were actually looking to put impose trade sanctions on those sort of things but now that you know several of those companies have gone bankrupt because mm. you know that's what happens. That's what because happens when capitalism. You take a loss on every unit. You <laughs> can't right. make it up on volume. Because capitalism. <laughs> so, it, as that clear has started to happen, you've started to see companies like First Solar become much more profitable again. I think they just actually last quarter uh, had blowout earnings, yeah. like doubled revenue and have up their guidance. So. The survivors, like the First Solars, their solar panels have gotten way more efficient in the last three years too, right? Yeah, and that's what also has made them. Uh, much more attractive uh, than the Chinese commodity panel. I mean, there was a point where the difference in efficiency between uh, a first solar panel and a Chinese commodity panel was not that great to the point that you didn't really want to pay up. And and first solar had actually built itself as a lower cost producer using a technology called cadmium telluride versus the traditional uh, silicon wafer technology. And so when when basically cheap Chinese knockoffs could kind of compete on price and they, there wasn't a whole lot of advantage on the cadmium telluride side or for, for solar, it, why were people going to buy there? But now that for solar has increased panel efficiency, it actually makes it worth it buying it versus you know somebody like a Jinko yeah. Solar or something like that. Cool. Yeah. And Tesla, I can't, I can't remember when they first jumped onto the scene. Electric hybrid cars were starting to be a big thing. Back then was more natural gas vehicles were going to be the next big thing. And that's kind of fallen by the Tesla. wayside, at least in terms of like um, you and I driving a car. But big rigs are much more so still aligned with natural Tesla gas. Tesla had its IPO in uh, summer 2010. Okay. And it soared and all that stuff. But obviously... Yeah, I don't know if they it was, were even it was still swinging any cars. Into, yeah, yeah, they had like that Roadster, and that right. was it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, so before we wrap up here, uh, any predictions for two and a half years from now? <laughs> um, Oof. Um, Oof. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, no more OPEC. Really? That's a, that's a big one. No more OPEC. So, like, the organization's actually going to disband, they're going to close their offices, or it's just going to be a joke? And we're like, yeah. Well, it's already, know. like, it's already losing kinda. some of its power. But, um, yeah, I, don't, I think, okay, so it'll be half of what it is or less in terms of members. Ooh. Membership. Membership. Like, we're yeah, actually pegging a yeah. number on this. Okay. Hmm. Uh, two and a half years from now, I think we're still underestimating growth in renewables. Um, we're doing it right now. You see the growth rates. Solar, wind, okay. right. hydro, yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's going to still be a very, very rapid deployment of this, and it's going to rattle a lot of cages in the electricity market. 
domestically or just on the planet? Like, Especially domestically, just because we are a mature market. Mm-hmm. And as we've seen in commodity markets, when you have a mature market and there is this rapid growth transformation happening in one aspect of it, it, it really upends a market. And There's no s- new demand to, to absorb this exactly. new supply. So somebody's um, got to go. Yeah, less so in emerging markets where you're trying to develop rapid infrastructure as quickly. But certainly in emerging markets, it's it's going to cause a lot more headaches than it. It, it's already starting to cause some pain, but I think in two or three years from now, it's really going to disrupt people much more than they thought. Well, when it would. you see, was it San Francisco or the entire state of California? I think it was just San Francisco that's now mandating solar panels on the roofs of new residential and commercial oh, wow. buildings. Yeah. So that and was just last week, I think, right? It's still amazing to me that I think it was 12 days out of the year last year, there were negative rates for power in California because of all the panels and stuff. I mean, that's... Well, it's the same in Texas, too. You're getting a little bit in Texas because of wind power. They're literally telling coal and natural gas plants, shut down. We were not giving you any money. Like (laughs) Easier said than done. Right. So, all right. My crazy prediction, uh, two and a half years from now, so it's late 2018. Is that right? Pretty much. Pretty much. I think... October. One of the people at this table, within two degrees of separation, will know somebody that has a driverless car. That's fair. That's bold. It's fun. I don't well, know. there's going to be 400,000 new Teslas on the road. And I said two degrees Supposedly. of separation. It could be like your best friend's roommates know a guy in San Francisco. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your father's brother's cousin. Former <laughs> well, I guess we already – it doesn't have to be a family, the first link, because we already know – Several fools that have them. That's true. I mean, obviously, David Gardner has a Tesla, although I don't think he's. Wait, are you saying Tesla or a driverless, driverless car? Oh, car. driverless car. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Although it's Tesla's probably a good years. bet because they already do the stuff on the freeway. Like, how driverless are we talking here? Completely? Like autonomous? We can sit in the back seat and let the machine yeah. do the work? That's bold. That is bold. Okay. Well, we're not betting any money. Why not go big? Fair enough. <laughs> Well, if we did, then you would have ridiculous odds. I, I, yeah, I would need like fifty to one or something. At least. Um, all right. Well, thanks for the throwback <laughs> episode, boys. At least I believe in it. It's going to happen. I just don't know if you can cr- cross the country autonomously. I think that you'll be able to do it in like maybe a city or two if they can three D map it. That would fall under my bet. I guess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. If you want to go like a, a city, you could drive around a city a- autonomously. I don't know if I would go D.C. for my bet. I don't know if I would do that. Well, their, their metro can't even drive autonomously. Oh, gosh. So. <laughs> That's a whole other one that we will save for another time. Uh, all right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks. And if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people in this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything or wear a bolo tie based only (laughs) on what you hear on this program. For Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.